to For All Mumkind, the podcast. A podcast for mums, by mums. My name is Pamela, and in each episode, I will sit down and chat to a mum about motherhood. The ups and downs and everything in between. Today's guest is a Dubliner who has found home in West Cork. She has had a career in hospitality, but has recently set up her own business. She's a Marie Keating peer-to-peer supporter and a mum to Toby. It's Ashlyn Drummond. Welcome, Ash. Hello, Pam. How are you doing? I'm good. So, Ash, you're one of my longest, dearest friends. Yes. And I suppose the reason I wanted to bring you on for an episode is because of a conversation we had a couple of years ago um, in a restaurant in Camden Street in Dublin. And you dropped like two massive bombshells while we were out for dinner in a really like matter of fact way that I still remember to this day. I don't know how much of this conversation you actually remember. Like not much. (laughs) That'll tell you the impact. So we were chatting away and there was a waitress and I admired her name. Her name was Poppy. And I was thinking, God, what a lovely name. And I think myself and Ben were married maybe two, three years. And I was kind of saying, I'm always conscious. I was like, oh, I'm not pregnant, you know, like don't get kind of confused about me commenting on someone's name and then you just kind of flippantly said oh I'm pregnant oh god and I just remember being like what and you're like oh yeah so I can't that would have been January February so I don't know how many weeks I was just I was very new I was November I would have found out I was pregnant so I was a couple of months you were a couple of months Yeah. yeah and a few moments after that, I think you had we had a bit of a chat about that, obviously, all excited. And then you told me that you are a carrier for the BRCA gene. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know what that is, what is it? That would be the breast cancer gene made famous by Angelina Jolie, I suppose, really, is is she was a, the first person that I ever heard of or had any interaction with, ironically enough, and I was carrying it and I didn't even know what it was. So it's it's a breast cancer mutation. Everybody has BRCA genes. Everybody carries them. Um, and they're anti-cancer suppressing genes, basically. So um, in one of mine, they, they come in pairs, one of mine is mutated. Um, and as such, my risk of breast and ovarian cancer are much higher than the general population. Um and it's hereditary, so it came down through the family line. Um, and I suppose, yeah, it would have been, I mean, it was a long, I, I nearly knew a year by the time we had that conversation. Actually, I found out in the April beforehand and I didn't really talk about it for a long time, you know. So I think I kind of slowly got there with a lot of my close family and friends and just kind of let them know what was going on. Yeah, mad. I don't remember that conversation. Yeah, it, it it's like fresh in my memory. I can remember like everything from that evening because it just, the, your resilience when telling it, you just was very matter of fact. And obviously it took you time. Like you said, it took you a year to get to that point. But I suppose how you coped with it. And then I think the path that you have decided to take since that news is amazing. So you were living in Dublin. You'd bought a house. You had a great job, you got married, and then you'd start to take some steps to change yeah. things so while pregnant, wasn't it? Two weeks after we got married, I got my results. And I'm laughing at you saying how resilient I was and how well, as a matter of fact, I at the time wasn't coping at all. I mean, I think that's the scariest part to hear. That reflected back because, you know, in hindsight and like years down the line now after it all, I realised that I I was doing the complete opposite of coping. So by the time we had that conversation, I'd already rushed into a pregnancy. 
um, I had decided we were going to sell our house and we were going to move somewhere, you know, um, it was all very whirlwind. Um, and I suppose there was a pressure um, in part from from the consultancies and, you know, the consultants I've seen in St. James's and reading up on things about BRCA and timelines. And ultimately, I'm going to have to have a preventative double mastectomy and I'm going to have my ovaries out and my fallopian tubes at some stage. And I think all of that um, massively impacts your frame of mind. You know, yeah. you're like, OK, kids aren't on the agenda now, but they want my ovaries. So maybe we just have to think about kids. Um and we probably made some crazy decisions based on me being in not a great space. But in hindsight, being able to look back on it all now. Yeah, it, it, it's it's all worked out. Yeah. Um, a part of the stuff that I, I am doing with Marie Keating and as a peer to peer is now reflecting with other people. Like, do you need to be making these decisions this quickly? Yeah. Um, is there anything I can I can offer in terms of support from that side of things? Because I've been through it and uh I wasn't ready to be a mom. Oh God, no. I think that's why you told me about the pregnancy and then you told me about the gene. And I suppose you were kind of saying my timeline has changed because of this news and yeah, the rush of getting pregnant. I remember you telling me yeah, like you had an app and you were like being meticulous following the app to the get ov- the ovulation app. The ovulation app. The dreaded ovulation app. To get conceive really. Yeah. We, yeah, we... We started to try immediately and in the timeline of things, it was probably four or five years earlier than we would have ever thought. We never got a chance to be married. Yeah. You know, we were married. We were never newlyweds. We were newlyweds with this, with this news. Um, And unfortunately, and fair play to my husband, he kind of, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been an element of our marriage for the last four years. It's, it's become me. It's become part of who I am. And I wasn't that person when he married me. I've kind of morphed and grown and in all sorts of different ways. So I've learned something about myself two weeks after I got married that inevitably have, has impacted every single decision that we've made since. Yeah. Um, we tried very hard for six, seven months to get pregnant and I was putting terrible amount of stress on myself. The app, the beeping app, you're ovulating, you're ovulating. Like you could have had a massive row about something crazy or, you know, something as simple as putting out the bins and you just don't want to look at them. You don't want to see them. You don't want them near you. And then the bloody phone beeps at you and says, hey, sexy time. And you're like, no, not right now, app. And then you realise there's a window and then you're just not having, you're not having sex for fun anymore. You're having it because your phone is telling you to. And eventually we went away in October with a gang of friends to London for a weekend. And I said, you know what? I'm deleting this bloody thing. Like, I'm just, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is just too much, too much stress. And I'd say within about three weeks of that, I was pregnant after getting rid of the app. Just and not paying attention to it so anymore. So once you relax into it. Yeah, you know. And how was your pregnancy then? I had a very good pregnancy. I wasn't ill. I had no um, sickness. Everything went absolutely streamlined the whole way up to the delivery. So I was really, really lucky. I didn't get huge the way you know, my family probably thought I would. I don't know. They just assumed I would just really embrace the pregnancy and really, you know, um, but I didn't. I was I was still traveling for work up until the June um, and I, I gave birth in the August. So like I was I was, you know, up and about and I was yeah, I was in good form. I was very, very lucky, you know, in comparison to some friends who've had horrendous pregnancies, you know. Yeah, um, I wasn't very well in myself, like in my mental yeah. health. Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't great. Um, 
I've written about it and it took me a long time to get the words out but like I, I resented the pregnancy I really did I did not want to be pregnant I felt like I was pregnant for the wrong reasons you know yeah um and I understand that that's quite triggering for people who really want to have kids and have a baby and I used to beat myself up over that for a long time it's like how can I vocalize to anybody that I don't want this pregnancy I just feel crap about it because I was conscious that there potentially could be backlash you know people could just be like come on cop yourself on get on with it and that's nearly the worst thing you can possibly hear you know Mm -hmm. Um, so I did I struggled I struggled a lot at that time I struggled with the idea of giving up work giving up my career you know Um, and some of it founded in nothing and some of it very concrete you know and um, yeah it was a really I think it's it's very tough it's very tough when you're facing that kind of end of a pregnancy maternity leave saying goodbye to people and just not knowing what was in store. Yeah, what the future holds, you know. Yeah. Yeah, tough. And your birth then? Yeah. I recently got my notes actually from Did you? the hospital. Yeah, only a few weeks ago actually. And I don't know why I expected there to be this horrific tale of horror and terror written in black and white in front of me because there wasn't. If you read it, it just read like a normal delivery. Like, yeah. you know, it was all very medical and matter of fact. Whereas what I have in my head is the complete opposite, um, which is funny. I don't know. I don't know what I expected to see or read. Yeah. But I can't say that it wasn't factual, but it just didn't present the way it went for us. We had a bad, we had a bad time. You know, in hindsight, I, I feel like I should have been sectioned. Um, you don't have a voice as a first time mom. I think, you know, no matter how many courses you do or how many gentle birthing things or hypnobirthing or it it really boils down to experience. It's the same as anything. And if you yeah. don't have experience of going through this, the, the whole system, then no matter what you've learned beforehand, it kind of goes out the window, you know. Yeah. And I had a very different idea as how things would go than how they did go. Um, But ultimately it was just we had a we had a pretty bad time delivering and I, I wound up um I wound up very oh God, I suppose scarred mentally and internally and externally and I wasn't looking after myself. I'd a lot of I had a lot of gynecological, I suppose, issues that didn't go um treated for God, at least a year and a half probably, you know? Um, which I just thought was normal post-birth pain mm-hmm. it turns out it was a spasmed internal ligament and I had an infected lining of the womb and I I'd all these things that you know I wasn't shouting about and I you know I um, I they all didn't come to light until we we lost a baby last January 2018 and as a result of that miscarriage I then kind of came aware that the, the symptoms I was having weren't weren't normal yeah. But like, God, it took me a long time to get there. I just, you know, everything was just so traumatic that I think I just parked it. And as my public health nurse said at the time, she goes, it became your normal. Yeah. You know, when I was saying I have this pain and that pain, I can't sit down. I'm sure I couldn't sit down. I don't know if I was in your company when I couldn't sit down. I couldn't sit on a on a hard surface or any surface for a long time. I had to have a cushion. And I went out for dinner with the girls in like the, the February or March last year. And one of them said, Seriously, like you can't sit on this bench. We're just going for pizza. Yeah. Couldn't stay on the bench. And she's like, that's not normal. And that was a trigger. She's like, that's too, this has gone on too long. Like you can't, there's something wrong here, you know. But it took another mum to say to me that was, you know, that had three kids like, nah, you know, you need to go and. And what did you do then? 
I went to my public health nurse, I rang her and I felt a bit stupid actually because she was like, Ash, with all your other stuff, you know, all your yeah. BRCA stuff, your risk of ovarian, all this, how have you not spoken to somebody about this? And she said, make an emergency appointment with your GP now, immediately. Um, and luckily there was nothing terribly sinister and I was able to go for physio and things like that. And I was on antibiotics for the infection and um, I'm, I'm much better now. I don't think I'll ever be 100%, but I'm I'm much better, you know. Yeah. But God, it just, it took a kind of a light bulb for somebody else to have a light bulb moment on my behalf to yeah. get to that point, you know. Because we don't really talk about the post-birth body is in like we talk a lot about the aesthetics of how we think we should look afterwards and but actually what our internal body does and the aftermath of that we can't it's still kind of taboo it's like we don't talk about that that bit you know it's still I think you're expected to just get on with things yeah it's too high an expectation yeah and I think our parents don't talk about it like my my mom now I mean we've joked about this but she'll say she doesn't remember and I kind of say, Jesus, I'll never forget. Like, you yeah. know, like, um, but I don't know how I'll feel about that in 30 years time, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think there is a gap in, A, the willingness to talk about it. Um, I, you know, Deirdre, you, you know, yeah. has has talked about this, um, O'Shaughnessy, and she said, like, you, she has a great story, but she's nearly afraid to tell it because, you know, there's other people out there who have horrible stories. So I think there is a kind of a chasm in in the narrative about what happens after birth. And because of that, I just thought that the pain I had, the pain I had was normal, you know. Um, And it really wasn't, you know. And that's what I've always said to my friends and anyone I've spoken to about it or written about it is that if you, if you are in pain a month after you've given birth, just, it may not be normal. Like you need, you need to ask somebody and say to somebody and not feel like a martyr. Like this is just post-pregnancy and post-birth pains because it's probably not it's probably something else you know yeah um it's a tough time for mums it's a tough time because it is you lose so much of yourself yeah and that, even tra- in that transition from a caregiving point of view you yeah. don't care for yourself anymore no. you know you only care you yeah. only care for one person or one thing really for especially on your first yeah. no one else matters you know yeah um so yeah i lost a bit of myself there i lost a lot of self care and self awareness nearly of yeah of, of my body and, and what was what was right what was and wrong what, or right yeah and yeah. what what you were feeling and acknowledging it um, and I think we can in those early months and even po- after six months kind of mark you do you're so kind of caught up in keeping this child alive that you're not actually focusing on your own needs and your own like you don't listen to your own body even though we've been completely attuned to it during pregnancy but once we give birth it's like it's like that kind of connection is kind of we almost it's kind of because it's boring it's like it's disconnected from our body so we give all that focus over yeah I saw that you'll see it going around Instagram that meme of like a mother is also born you Completely. know a new mother is also born yeah. and that's that's definitely forgotten and the thing about it is it's, it's, a, it's a personal thing no one can teach you that no one can like 15 people could stand around you mums and say you know you need to mind yourself you need to it doesn't matter doesn't yeah. matter what anyone says, you you won't, you won't look after number one. You'll always look after a baby first, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think my personality, as you kind of said, is quite resilient. And as a result, because I would be that type of person, probably people expected me just to be grand and maybe didn't see the warning or the trigger signs like that. I wasn't maybe coping as well as I, I could have been, Yeah. you know. 
Like when I was still taking a blow up Mickey Mouse pool ring into the car like six months postpartum to sit on if I was driving somewhere. No one thought to say, actually, that's not normal. No yeah, one. That's... Not my mom, not any, not nobody, you know. So like it's, it was just something I did. And, um, you know, it just, no, it didn't trigger with anybody. So I don't know. You really do have to see the signs yourself, I think, and do something about it yourself. Last time we met, actually, uh, Alice was quite, she was really small and we were sharing breastfeeding stories and ours were so extremely opposites. It is like, it's like chalk and cheese. So you had, the only thing that we have similar is, surprise, surprise, tongue tie. Tongue tie. Yeah. God. But you had a massive oversupply at the start. Huge. I was like Dolly Parton. I was, it was, so the tongue tie, the tongue tie was, wasn't diagnosed until Officially until eight weeks after he was born. It's a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I, I had milk before he was born. Like I had milk in the delivery room. So that's a funny story. I don't know if it's for today or not. But um, I sprayed my midwife in the face with my breast milk before the baby had even come out. Um, loads of milk there. No issue with supply. And then got him home. We were discharged after a day. I was out, let out the very next day, which in hindsight, I should never have agreed yeah. to. Um, but you just want to be home. You yeah. know, you want to be in your own shower. Um, so got him home and thought we were doing OK. Plenty of milk, so much milk that it was leaking down and I had to feed with like a tea towel or, or, or you know, a muslin underneath, underneath my bra. Like there was just so much milk. And I had a very restless child. Very upset, very sad baby, you know, um, I'm still not over what happened on our little journey then because he was so miserable and sad. Um, I've just come from a house where a friend of mine has a one year old and a newborn. Well, he's 15 weeks now, but they were they were Irish twins and she has a peaceful house. We just had lunch and we talked for the last hour and had lunch while her two very calm babies just did their own thing. And we never had that with Toby at the beginning. It just breaks my heart that we had such a horrible time. Um, He was presenting with reflux. But in hindsight, we now know that that was just the tongue tie, you know. Um, He was gaining weight. He was up on his birth weight at my first PHN appointment. And I think as a result of that, my young, non-breastfeeding, non-mother PHN probably thought, tick the box, gaining weight. Not really a sign of any issues with the feeding. Um, I was obviously in immense pain, but again, oh, you get a bit of pain with breastfeeding, you know, just have your lanolin, have your, you know, your bits and pieces. Um, I had extreme pain, but passed it off as normal breastfeeding pain because who knows what it's supposed to feel like, right? And he had to be held upright or sleep upright or be in somebody's arms for two months. And if he was put down on his back or lay flat, he screamed in pain, you know. And again, it took somebody else to to highlight that to me. Friends of mine came over. My sister-in-law was there. One of my friends who'd recently had a baby two weeks before Toby was born. And we took all the babies out for a walk. And Toby just screamed as we walked around the park in the buggy. Lying flat on his back, in his lovely buggy, screamed. And they kind of, they're like, Ash, how often is he doing this? I'm like, this is how it is all the time. This, isn't no- this is just normal for yeah. us now. And again, someone else had to say to me like, Ash, I don't think this is right. Like, there's something else here. Um, but then no one could tell me what it was. GP, 
Crumlin Children's Hospital didn't diagnose the tongue tie. No one looked in his mouth. Public health nurse didn't look in his mouth. And we probably saw five or six health professionals of different levels or grades over a four or five week period and nobody checked the child's mouth for a tongue tie. So I went last, last ditch to an osteopath that I was recommended to and she, he was screaming, crying, obviously in the waiting room. Yeah. Normal. And she, um, when I walked in, eventually she was like, she asked me the question, she's like, why are you here? And I was like, well, he just, he's just like this all the time. So like, he, we're getting no relief, we're getting no anything. And she was like, no, no, what I'm asking is, why is he here? He, he clearly has a very severe tongue tie. And she could see that from five feet away in her waiting room while he was screaming as I was walking towards her. Um, and then within two weeks, tie released, fed for a year and had the best journey, you know, up until yeah. the point I had to wean. And that first two months were so avoidable, yeah. which kills me, yeah. kills me to this day. Yeah, that, you know, I screamed for help. I asked people, I said, there's something wrong here. There's something not right here. I sat up in Crumlin for hours one day with him because he kind of projectile vomited, but it, it was just all reflux. It was all air. Yeah. And no one would listen. Yeah. No one. And I suppose there's so many mums I've spoken to on the, the podcast and at home and just tongue tie is just, it's almost like it's a figment of our imagination. You know, and there, there is definitely a, a cohort out there who, who think or releasing tongue ties is is kind of a, a new age kind of thing that we do um, and doesn't necessarily have to happen. But for anyone who's had a baby with tongue tie that's had it released, like you can't but say this is causing a huge issue. Massive. And especially, I suppose what really um, just really grinds me is the HSC is really pushing breastfeeding. And we're setting, and I've said this before with Deirdre, like we're setting mums up to fail mm-hmm. because... You're left out of the hospital. You think, you you know, they're latching on. That might be fine. Or you had a great supply. So he was literally just kind of gobbling supply rather than actually latching, latching and sucking properly. Um, and then you and I and, and plenty of other mums have these journeys that are just so hard, needlessly hard. And, you know, it stays with you because you've lost weeks of what should have been a really happy time. And not only that, the knock-on effect it has on your relationships at home. Yeah. Like myself and Craig killed each other and like I know the first couple of weeks are supposed to be hard and everything but like Jesus like if there was ever a point where I was like you can just leave and I'll never see you again it was during that time Yeah, mum in hindsight now she says my brother was probably severely she could not feed Connor you know my brother and she she had fed me and Connor would you know probably say yeah like in hindsight now he probably still has a tie maybe himself you know yeah. or he definitely had uh, had one as a kid Um, it's a real thing it's a tangible thing it causes, like we had a, you know, we don't, I just said to you before we even come on, it's like we don't like to talk about it, but we had a horrible situation in my house where I had two people who love me very much, like my mother and my husband, we were all living under the same roof at the time with the baby. And I was ganged up on, you know, I was, I was flagged postnatal depressed, postnatally depressed and I wasn't and I knew I wasn't. I think that's the worst thing. If someone said to me, look, you're showing signs of this, mm-hmm. I would be like, really? Okay, let's go do something about it because you know I'm very old, but I just knew it's like there's nothing here. Only that this baby is it's, this is not working. This feeding is not working. It's not how it should be. I should not have to feed with a towel underneath me because he's leaking milk. You know. Yeah. Um, and up I went to the PHN to have my 
my figures, my dot test of how many, you know, on that scale that they use. Is it the Manchester scale? Oh, there's a scale anyway for testing postnatal depression. You oh, know? Edinburgh. Edinburgh scale. And I wasn't postnatally depressed. I didn't, I wasn't even close. Like I was, I was functioning fine, you know, but I just, I just felt not supported. I just felt that I wasn't, I wasn't being listened to even by those as like as close as my husband and my, and my mum, you know. Yeah. And if someone had just swiped in his mouth when he was born, know. we could have had a much nicer journey and I wouldn't feel so bitter about it, you know, yeah. like that I wouldn't feel still so angry, I suppose, about about how everything went, you know, could have been so much easier and so much nicer for us. Because the minute that baby latched on after the release, I mean, I felt suction for the first. I mean, I immediately felt it like it was it was instant. He fed for 10 minutes at the breast in the clinic and fell asleep for two hours and slept lying down. No reflux, no vomiting, no anything. It was instantaneous. Yeah. And then everything just went up from there. Yeah. yeah. And you got that sorted privately. Had to. Yeah, same as me, which again is something I'm like that. I just find that really unfair. Like we're we're lucky that we have the money to go and do that. But for anyone who, you know, doesn't have a couple of hundred euro to throw at a problem and, you know, can you'll have to just move away from that breastfeeding journey. It just it really Yeah, find it and really it's upsetting. your lactation consultant beforehand, yeah. the the osteo before that, you know. Yeah. Um it was very expensive. Everything we tried even to get to that point was expensive. Reflux medicine for two months was expensive. Like, you know, the HSE and it's and bringing it back to the bracket thing as well. Yeah. Like prevention in so many of these cases works out cheaper yeah. than having to treat a sick person or a sick baby. And that's one of my biggest grievances and everything that, you know, that we're fighting for in terms of BRCA and in terms of... Um, you know, making sure that women are screened and have preventative surgeries because that in the long run is going to result in a much healthier population, right? And, yeah. you know, less women presenting with cancers, symptomatic cancers in clinics and having healthy lives. But, and it's very similar with the tongue tie, you know, yeah. there's plenty and plenty of women who wait and ha- they wind up going on to wait lists to have tongue ties released mm-hmm. pr- um, publicly. I actually, I'm not sure how many wind up getting there because I, I know, know the lists are just so long yeah you know and there it's a month of waiting and yeah. like what are you going to do you know if yeah if you're waiting for and months. as you say it's it it grinds your gears it grinds my gears to see like sponsored Facebook campaigns from the HSE <laughs> popping up on my web on my Facebook yeah basically shaming mothers you know I, yeah. I feel very strongly about that that it's like everyone should be breastfeeding you're like yeah except you know if they can't yeah we, you know, you you are not offering any solution for them. If there's if there's a tie there, you're saying right. If you have two hundred euros for your lactation consultant, and then you're three hundred plus to go or yeah. travel as well is another yeah. issue to Clamell or to Dublin or wherever you have to go to get it released. Um, we were very lucky. We just we didn't have it, but we found it exactly. But there's yeah. a lot of people who cannot find it. Yeah, you know, um, it's very yeah hard. As you can tell, I'm still a bit bitter. Oh, and I I come from the same from the same pool. I it's I suppose if you know if I could do anything or you know lobby anyone to try and just get more support for mums in particular. There's a great support. You know, your your GP and your your kind of obstetrician appointments. You know, during your pregnancy, and once that baby pops out, you're on your own. You're as a mum, you're on your own. 
there's a two week and six week check for the baby and it's measured on weight and that's not that's not success when it comes to a happy baby like it's it's a part of it but it's not a holistic and I like the HSE is is as full of different issues but I suppose you know when you are a new mum this is the one that you are most kind of attuned to yeah there should be something offered in terms of counseling for new mothers you know like a post a post delivery debrief yeah. You know, where a baby isn't even in the room, you know, just even a half hour, an hour with a trained counsellor just to make sure that mum is OK, you know. And I, I know that's probably semi-offered through the PHN service, but they're actually, they're looking for different things. Their yeah. job is to make sure baby's OK. Yeah. And as I said, my baby was grand. He was fine and big, you know, in their eyes. And he, he yeah. ticked that box and he was he was one of the, the ones who gained all the weight. Because he was feeding off my letdown. He was yes. just basically getting all the lovely fatty stuff and he was lying back and he was guzzling it down. Um, and on paper, he was doing perfectly fine. Yeah, he ticked the boxes. And in real life, we weren't at all. And your parenting style with Toby, how would you describe it? I like to think I'm a gentle parent. I'm fairly laid back, I have to say. like I think you're very laid back. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I probably am actually very chill. Sometimes um, I see things, I'm like, oh, Ash. Yeah. You're so brave. I would never leave Alice do that, but I'm totally. Have you an example now of something that I I, I would do? Because I probably don't see it in myself. Playing with the stream, I would be terrified. Oh, yeah, he's in the stream all the time. Yeah, no, Like, we I have a stream in the house. Like, uh, he's he's an outdoors child. He's He's got his dad's sense of caution, which is probably something that that lets me do that that with him yeah. he'll go to do something and then he'll triple check it twice and it's, you know he'll he'll, mm, and then he'll go for it anyway but he'll always assess the situation and I'm talking about a two year old here like but he he's very he's street wise already you know um, yeah he'd be in the stream like oh yeah I've, I'm probably fairly laid back you know we, we baby led weaned and people thought we were nuts and he's going to choke and die and he didn't he was grand and I think after that I think it, you start Getting, I thought I was going to be different. I thought I was going to be organic nappies and all that stuff, and like, you know, have everything labeled. And but once you get into it, life is far too short. So I, I, yeah, I'm very, I'm probably very laid back actually. Now that you mention it, and the baby led weaning, mm. we never, we never gave him anything on a spoon. I think that made you know we yeah. never we never introduced a spoon yeah. at all. Um. So we we weaned him at 26 weeks, like for the baby led, they just say to give it the extra two weeks. So usually 24, just to 26. In hindsight, he was well ready. You know, I know WHO don't do it till the 24 weeks. He was he was shown an active interest in food. He would be sat with us at the table. He would be reaching out for food. He'd try and whip a piece of toast out of your mouth. Probably a month before, maybe, if not even earlier than that you know, he was shown really strong signs of wanting food and he was a sturdy baby. I mean, he was, he was a fine-sized child. And, you know, they say, look, you can't overfeed them with breast milk. So I'm like, grand. I mean, he was big, like he was yeah. chunky. So he was sturdy and he had avocado and pear for his first little meal. We just put the stuff in front of him. We had a couple of kind of gaggy moments where he, you know, uh, and my mum was like, this is insane. Like, you can't just give a child a piece of broccoli. I'm like, look at him, he's grand. He's chewing away in it. You know, and he, he as a result, I think, has got a decent relationship with food. He does, like, he just grabs food when he wants it and he doesn't eat it if he doesn't want it. And we don't, we don't do empty your plate or any of that kind of stuff. It's like, you know, he'll just, he'll eat till he's full or he just won't eat at all. 
or he'll binge on, you know, Easter eggs like he did one of the days when he was sick and he just didn't eat anything else. And I think we got the balance right. But we, you have to be a chilled parent to baby led so. Yeah. You have to be willing to be like laid back about it, you know. It was all learned by himself, you know, he was yeah. doing it by himself. But I think it's discovery, really. It's more about fun and yeah. play than it is about actually food, you know, as in... Um, the nutrition part the, of it. Yeah, yeah, for the first little while anyway, you know. I suppose at the moment you you actually have kind of changed careers somewhat of late. I was working in school. I, I wound up taking on a role that was twice as stressful as the roles that I would have had in Dublin. Yeah. Which was the complete opposite reason of why we moved to West Cork. And I put 110% of myself into it. I went from working part time, three days a week, minding my own business, to managing a team of 40 plus people and being responsible for a lot of stuff. And I, I kind of achieved a big goal, I suppose, um, at the start of the month. Um, and, well, April actually. And I, I, I just kind of said, look, you know, I've done what I've, I can do here. And I decided, so I'm going out on my own, I suppose. So I was always worked in hotel sales. Um, even through college and degrees and undergrads and postgrads and masters and all different things, I've always just been in hospitality, you know, um, usually in sales roles, but I wound up in a general management role by accident and I loved it and I saw the whole business from a different side now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I've, I've set up a consultancy business with my husband. He's going to do a certain segment of it as well, just to help small, smaller, maybe hotels or, or hospitality clients with their sales and marketing. Someone who can't take on a full-time salesperson and work yeah. work on a project basis with them. So I'm really excited about that because it'll let me work for myself. It also let me handpick the clients who I kind of want to work with. Yeah. Um, and I, because of the nature of the business, I won't, it won't be a long-term solution for anybody. It'll be going in, having a specific goal in mind and achieving a goal, which I love to work towards specific targets. Yeah. Um, which means it'll be different all the time as well. Now, scary because I quit my job, right? So... Quit my job, but no real major plan. It was brave. It was um, it was semi-calculated, as in I'd been thinking about it for a little while. We went on a two-week holiday. Um, it wasn't that premeditated because the two-week holiday was deliberately planned ahead of the season. So season kicks in this weekend, yeah. right? So I was like, I need to get a break before I go away or before it all, before it all kicks off. And um, so the plan wasn't to leave. The plan was to stick at this and it was, you know, a good role. And I was really, in, you know, I wasn't I was enjoying it for the most part. And um, but the, the lifestyle balance wasn't wasn't right. You know, if it was that role in a different time before Toby or before Bracca or before I was supposed to be minding my health and not be stressed and, you know, yeah. anything that could trigger additional stress, you know, you should be kind of parking as much as possible. So if it was in a different time, it would have been perfect. But... On the two week break, I didn't check my phone once for work. Like I, that, that's not my personality. I'd normally be sneaking a look at the emails, you know, yeah. um, at the very least when we got home from being away, I would have on the tarmac in the airport, opened the phone and had a look and that didn't happen. And I and I went back to work on the Monday and I quit my job on the Monday. And it just it I was just I was just the right time. I, you know, I was 60 hour a week corporate Ash again. And Craig is like, you worked for Hilton. You were Hilton Ash. That was my nickname because I used to come in like guns blazing and clippy cloppy shoes. And he's like, we moved out of Dublin and out of that, that sphere for you to have a more chill life. And he's like, you've gone the complete opposite. Now you've gone 
not even back to Hilton Ash, you've gone like overload, you know, because there's no cutting off your, there was no downtime. There was no just being able to turn off the phone. Yeah. Um, The work I was doing with Marie Keating in the lead up to me going on holidays um, and post holidays. So I I was doing my training to be a peer to peer support um, and we had sessions before I went away. And then we got back from Spain on the Tuesday or the Wednesday that week and we had a session on the Thursday and we had the Marie Keating second bracket conference on the Friday. And I think that whole dynamic of being in that room with women who were in the same boat as me or had breast cancer or had ovarian cancer, who had horrific stories to tell in terms of their family history, who've lost people, who've come through it, who are in the middle of treatment. I sat there as somebody who is like a previver, as we call mm-hmm. us bracket people, like previvers. And I kind of said to myself, Jesus Christ, Ashley, what are you doing? Like, this is what's important. Like, you know, being a voice for, for this cohort of women is important. And I genuinely sat with the girls that Thursday, there's eight of us. And I was kind of like, how am I supposed to help another person if I'm not even helping myself? How am I supposed to tell somebody or preach self-care if I literally am running myself into the ground. And it, it, it was a very different take on how I would normally look at things. I would normally just say, plow on, plow on, plow on. But actually, that's not OK. It's not right. Like, you need to step back from things sometimes and self-assess. And I think actually being out of it for two weeks. Yeah, gave you that Gave me a chance, yeah, to realise that actually the ship doesn't sink just because you're not there. Right. Yeah. And, you know, did I miss it? No. Did yeah. I particularly want to go back? Meh. You know, so you need to be doing something that you really love and you're really passionate about. And leaving conference in Leopardstown that day on the Friday, I was just full of energy and full of love and full of, you know, motivation and, you know, about sharing the story, about sharing Bracca, about screaming for better resources for women, for better counselling and therapy and post and pre-op stuff. And I was like, that's actually what I love and what I want to be doing. And... I'm so consumed by my role at the moment that I, I, you know, it's too stressful. There was too many things going on that I actually couldn't legitimately face into this new role that I'd have with Marie Keating, knowing that I wasn't being good to myself. And I went in on Monday and quit my job. I didn't tell my husband I was going to do it. That caused a bit of a row. Um, but we're a bit okay. of a row. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a row. You know, it is something you should consult your husband. Anyone listening to this is thinking about quitting their job. If you have a significant other who maybe, you know, you share a bank account with and bills, you probably need to talk to them about quitting your job before you walk out and do it, you know. But again, it's my personality, right? Yeah. I just felt it in the moment. It was the right thing to do. Yeah. And probably if you overthought it, you might have done it. Yeah. You know, because you're going to start thinking, oh, I have mortgages, there's bills. And then, you know. Yeah. It's, it's tough, but I would say anybody who really wants to make a break, um... And that they're in a position where they're not going to be financially ruined by doing it. You know, maybe put a bit more planning into it than I did so that you've got something semi lined up. Um, But it is the most liberating thing I've done. I am a new person the last couple of weeks. Oh, my God. I just feel like a weight lifted and I'm much happier, you know, in myself. Um, And it's going to be tough the next few months, weeks, you know, until we're up and running properly, you're going to be really tough. But at least I'll be doing something I love and at least I'll be managing my own diary, my own time. Yeah. Spending more time at home, you know. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm... You can prioritise your own life. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Nervous excitement. So it's coming to its time where I have to ask you three questions. Okay. What would you tell your pregnant self? Oh, God. Ring Fiona Ray when the baby comes. Because she's an angel. You know, she's a fantastic breast uh, consultant, lactation consultant. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. The minute that baby comes out, ring Fiona Ray. Any mother who is thinking about breastfeeding, if you have a friend who you know really wants to breastfeed, buy them a voucher yeah. for a lactation consultant. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I tell my pregnant self. And what one product could you not live without? Um, the mint uh, shower gel, the organic source shower gel. I just, I just love that shower gel. I really do. I've been trying loads of new products recently in my new like yes. two, three week. Um, I'm not a product person at all. I'm really bad. Like I'm off with skincare. I've used the same Mitchum deodorant for like a million years and I went on to like a horrible one when I had the baby you know, the oh, one of the lavendery ones that just, and I was smelly anyway. Like, so no, I, I went back to Mitchum. But I think that that organic source mint and tea tree cherry sure, gel yeah. is my favourite thing in the world. Yeah. And what has been your magic moment? Honestly, I think a personal magic moment is is that that moment in, in, in the, when I got the toy release with Toby where I actually felt what breastfeeding should feel like for the first time. But I think there's there's moments like that Every stage, isn't there? Yeah. There really is. Um, having a kid, as they grow and develop, they just, they come out with absolute clangers all the time. Like, you know, they, they, they keep you so entertained. Um, but personally, with everything that went on, I think that, that I'll never forget with that first suck, that really deep, you know, latch felt like for the first time. And it was kind yeah. of a whole release of, few. I wasn't crazy, you know, like I was vindicated as a mother, vindicated yeah. as a breastfeeding mother, you know, as a woman finally had people around me who were who were listening, you know, and um, that was pretty, pretty sweet, you know. So Ashling, thank you so much for coming in to talk to me. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, it's you're like my first friend that I've had on the podcast, but I am always inspired by your chosen path in life and the strength and bravery in all aspects of your life from your health to your career choices to where we live we're both west coasters yeah um we met in cork we both ended up in dublin now we're both kind of i'm carrying your cork so we're kind of aligned um so thank you no problem at all thank you for listening to today's episode of for all mankind if you enjoyed it please rate review and subscribe if you would like to send me a message please email allmumkind at gmail.com or find me on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter and see you on the next episode of the For All Mumkind podcast. Thank you.